100. Psalms are very unique to Scripture in that they were all meant for purposes of worship, and they would use them to sing, oftentimes uh, with a melody line or in some cases in a chant type of a um, thing. They, they're considered to be part of the poetic books, um, but they are uh, tremendous, tremendous encouragement uh, when I was in college a number of years ago, uh, one of the professors that I had said, if you'll read one psalm a day, it'll change your life. And uh, I took him up on that for many, many years, read one psalm a day, and uh, what a great blessing it was, uh, encouragement. And um, Lord willing, we're going to be done here in a few weeks with our New Testament survey in Sunday school, and we're going to try... Uh, perhaps at this point to move into a study of the Psalms uh, in Sunday school and perhaps uh, take that a year or so to go through these. Uh, they are tremendous, tremendous truths, and I hope it will be of a help to you this morning. Psalm 100, we'll read the entire psalm. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, He is God. It is He that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people, and the sheep of His pasture. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving, and into His courts with praise. Be thankful unto Him, and bless His name. For the Lord is good, His mercy is everlasting, and His truth endureth to all generations. Father, we come once again asking for the next few moments that You would Help uh, guide and direct our thoughts and our hearts. May the truth of uh, this psalm be helpful, may it be apparent, may it be easily understood, and may your Holy Spirit guide and direct the target of this truth to the hearts of those that need it today. And I pray that you would help us as we leave here today to rejoice in the fact that we've been here to learn, to study things from your Word, and that will have been profitable to us having our faith uh, and the moving of your Holy Spirit to prosper in its planting and its budding in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's an interesting psalm that we come across here, and I believe there are a number of things that are certainly helpful to us in the day that we live. Uh, one of the greatest truths, I think, that we so uh, often overlook in the Christian life is the fact that our relationship, our walk with God, our time that we spend with God on a daily basis is or ought to be of the highest priority in a Christian life. Uh, I grew up years ago and went to uh, Bible college to study for ministry and went to a few different Bible colleges. And um, in the course of studying about ministry, it seemed that all of the emphasis and all of the uh, priority was placed on uh, service for the Lord, how much you had to work and labor for the Lord. And while labor and service for the Lord is certainly of a high priority, it took a number of years for me to come to an understanding from Scripture that even above our service to the Lord, our personal relationship to God is of vital importance. 
In Isaiah chapter number 6, Isaiah sees the Lord high and lifted up, the Bible says. And when he sees the Lord high and lifted up, uh, it has a unique effect on Isaiah. In fact, any time that we find a biblical account of someone seeing God, uh, they tend to have similar responses. And that was this. Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. And he could not even speak in the presence of God because in God's presence, the holiness of God, the righteousness of God, His glory was so great that, that Isaiah, in his undone, sinful human condition, could not even stand in the Lord's presence without help from the Lord. Uh, oftentimes, we think off, uh, way too little of who God is in the day that we live. In fact, there seems to be a great movement among even churches in our country to, to humanize God. They begin to attribute human characteristics. They apply human logic and say, this is the way God thinks. But my Bible tells me that His ways are far above our ways, and His thoughts are far above our thoughts. I've shared so many times before a book I read years ago by A.W. Tozer, and he made the statement that whatever we think God to be, He is not. He is not. Because He far exceeds what our minds can even fathom Him to be. And I think there are two things that will affect us drastically in our Christian life that I think we'll see in this, in this psalm very clearly. The first one being for us to see God as He really is, as much as is possible by what He has chosen to reveal to us from Scripture. We, we, we oftentimes think, well, I want to see God. I want to know who He is. I want to know Him well. And the truth is, God has only chosen to reveal a portion of Himself in Scripture. The sad thing is, as God's people, oftentimes we don't even know what He has revealed to us in Scripture about Him. Because we've not taken the time to get to know who our God is. We've not taken the time to study its pages. I was listening to a fellow years ago named Sam Gipp, and he was making a statement about reading Scripture. And he said, instead of reading the Word of God, read about the God of the Word. When you come to the Bible, look for God in it. Find out what does it tell us about Him. What does it tell us about the way He works? What does it tell us about His attributes? What does it tell us about His holiness and His, his uh, might and His power and His presence? And What does it tell us about His justice and His mercy and His grace and His love? What does it, <coughs> what does it tell us about Him? And his idea was this, that as we have only one source of God revealing Himself to us, let's devour it and learn all that we can about God. And one thing that will help us is when we learn as much about God as we possibly can this side of heaven. Because when we see God more and more as He is, it will help us do the second thing, and that is this, to see ourselves the way that God sees us. We have a tendency uh, to be very prideful. You ever notice that? It's human nature. Pride is the great sin of all humanity. It's what caused Satan to fall from heaven. It was what caused Adam and Eve to sin. It's what causes you and I to sin. In fact, if you take and, and boil every sin that man can commit down to its, its smallest point of origin, you'll find that pride was at the root of it every time. 
because we're prideful people. And one of the great travesties of Christianity is we think too little of God and too highly of ourselves. John put it this way when he understood it. He said, He must increase, but I must decrease. Because he knew the problem. He knew that that was going to be the issue of man. As we get to this psalm, I want you to notice with me in verse number 3, that the psalmist pins these words, Know ye, and I'm going to stop there for a minute and say this, he's getting ready to tell us some things that we need to know. Now, notice what he says we need to know. He says, Know ye that the Lord, He is God. He's not one of many gods. He's not a, a list of priorities in our life. He is God. He is God Almighty. And he goes on to say it this way, It is He that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. He brings out two things here that I think are very important. He shows the Lord and God Himself as the Creator, and as such, then we are the creation. By the way, if we ever get to the place where we say, what gives God the right to dictate in my life? It's because He made us. He owns us. He's the one that He's the one that created us, and He has every right to set the rules. He's the Creator. We are the creation, and we need to keep that in mind. We're living in a day where I have, uh, in recent, in the last year or so, did a study, and we even uh, preached on it a little bit here in our church about men that will stand in the pulpits today, and they will say that God has to have our authority to work in this world. Can I tell you that is blasphemous? Because God is God, and He can do as He chooses. God stepped out on nothing and spoke everything that is in existence into existence. Spoke it into existence. And then He did this for six days, and the Bible says on the seventh day He rested. And I remember as a kid thinking, boy, God must have really been tired, because boy, that was a huge amount of work He did. Can I tell you this? God is so mighty and so powerful, it did not even deplete His power at all. God didn't have to take a nap when He was done working in creation. God set an example because He knew that you and I needed the rest. Not because He did. Why? Because He's the Creator. And we're the creation. He also makes a statement here that, that we are His people and the sheep of His pasture. He's the shepherd. And we are the sheep. The psalmist makes this recognition. He says, here's some things that you need to know. You need to know these things about the Lord. He's the Creator. He's the one above everything. He's the preeminent one. He's the one that is above all. All things were created by Him and for Him, the Bible tells us. He's also the shepherd, and we are the sheep. Hold your place here for a minute. Turn to another very familiar psalm, Psalm 23. And I want you to notice something here in Psalm 23. The Bible says this, The Lord is my shepherd. We know that again from Psalm 100. It makes it very clear. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. He does three things for us. He leads us. He makes us to lie down in green pastures. And He restores our soul. He leads us where we're supposed to go. He makes sure that we're in the place where we need to be. 
And then when our soul gets faint and weary, He strengthens us. Now notice what it says here. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. And that's what a shepherd does. He goes everywhere, doesn't he? But I want you to notice this next phrase, and this is what I want you to see. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Isn't that an interesting statement? Uh, how many of you have been to maybe a Christmas play or a program and you've seen the shepherds and they come in and they have the shepherd's staff? You all know what I'm talking about? Got the little hook on the end of it. You know, the Bible tells us here in Psalm 23 that there are two things about this thing that the shepherd has. It's the rod and it's the staff. And both of them comfort us. Now, they may be two separate pieces of wood. They could be one piece of wood serving two purposes. But I want you to understand the distinction between the two. The staff was always meant for rescue, for comfort, for direction. When the shepherd was going down the path and needed the sheep to go a certain way, he would oftentimes use it to nudge them along. When they fell into a crevasse or some sort of a thicket that they needed to be pulled out, he would oftentimes use it to pull them out. And we love the staff, but they also used it as a rod. And that's what sheep don't like as much. In fact, I was a number of years ago uh, told by a fellow who had studied Jewish history that oftentimes during the times of David and that time of the kings of Israel, <clears throat> which would have been the time that these psalms would have been written, that oftentimes if a sheep was cantankerous and would not do what the shepherd wanted, it began to wander off, it kept getting into trouble, that they would take the sheep and the shepherd would hold its two legs out across its arm and they would take their rod and they would break the legs of the front legs of the sheep. And then they would wrap those legs very tenderly and bandage them well. And there was a pocket inside of the cloak of the shepherd, and they would take that sheep and they would tuck them into this pocket. And for the next several weeks, while their legs would mend, they would carry this sheep next to them. I'm told from the fellow who had studied this that the reason they did that was so that when the sheep healed and they finally took the bandages off and they set the sheep down on the ground because of the fact that it had been so close to the shepherd for so long that it would never wander more than a few feet away from the shepherd for the rest of its life. We don't like the rod, but we need to be thankful for it. Because there are times that we love God's staff as a shepherd in our life. There are times we love for Him to guide and to direct in our lives. And while we may not like His chastening and His correction, we need to be grateful and thankful for it. Again, recognizing His authority over us, His, His leadership role over us, that God, the Bible tells us in Psalm 100, Know ye that the Lord, He is God. We are, we are us, and, and He is God. It is He that hath made us, not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Now, this knowledge leads to some things that I want us to look at here as we get back to Psalm 100, if you'll turn with me. It causes the psalmist to say, because of our knowledge of God, it will lead us 
to love Him. Now, notice what it says here in, in, in verse number 2. And I say it tells us it'll lead us to love. It, it, the love is what will bring the joy in verse number 2. The Bible says this, Serve the Lord with what? With gladness. Come before His presence with what? Singing. I remember as a kid, uh, when I first, I grew up in church, and my mom and dad, my dad was a pastor, and they had started a church. I had watched my dad labor and struggle and, and do a lot of physical work, and I mean just the sorrow of uh, dealing with uh, folks over the number of years that he did and the, the pain oftentimes that, that, that a pastor deals with in pastoring a church for that length of time. And I remember when I got old enough to where I felt like maybe God might want me to go into ministry, and I remember dreading uh, some of that and saying, Lord, I don't want to have to go through some of the stuff my dad's gone through. I, I, I'll serve you, and, and I know it's what i got to do, and I know it's what I'm supposed to do. I remember getting to college, and they started putting rules down about you have to go out and uh, visit so many hours a week, and you got to knock on so many doors a week. And I used to look at serving God as something that, well, it's just part of what you have to do. And I never really experienced the joy of serving until God got a hold of my heart one day. And let me tell you, He had to bring me pretty low to get me there. He took me through some dark, dark days of my life. And I began to cling to Him because I had nowhere else to go. And I began to love Him with all of my heart. And all of a sudden, the service that God had given us to do in Scripture was no longer something that I had to do, but something that was a great privilege. It was a great joy. It was a great peace. It was a great satisfaction. Because God had my heart. In fact, in Ephesians chapter number 6, the Bible says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, that thy days may be long on the earth. And he talks about the fact that there's reward that comes from honoring. There's no reward for obedience. There's reward for honoring. We obey because it's right to do. And oftentimes, I fear that in the Christian life, we, we do what we do because of our obligation. We feel like, well, we have to do it. Can I tell you this? When we recognize who God is, what He has done, that He is the God of all creation, that He made me, when we recognize that He is my shepherd and I am the sheep, when we recognize the fact that I was the sinner and He was the Savior, when we recognize the fact that I didn't love Him but He loved me, all of a sudden things begin to change and take on a whole different light. And the more that we learn about God, the more that our hearts are drawn toward Him. Uh, think about the, the time that you, and I, I hate to even use this illustration because it's so much more when it comes to our relationship with God than any human experience. But think about the time that you fell in love with someone. You maybe saw them from a distance and they piqued your interest a little bit. You might have an interest to maybe get to know them. Could, could you imagine if you had never spoken to them? Could you imagine if you had never tried to learn anything more about them? You wouldn't have grown to love them. But then you, you started going around them and talking to them a little bit. You started finding out about them. You started learning about them. And before long, you might have worked up the nerve to pick up the phone and call them or write them a note or a letter. Do you like me? Check one. Yes, no. And they check maybe. And you're like, oh, okay. And then you really start putting in the effort. Hey, would you like to go out one night on a date? And you sit there and you talk. 
We learn about each other. Then you start hanging around each other more and more and more. Can I tell you this? The more you got to know them, the more you loved them. And it is no different when it comes to our relationship with God. If our, our love for God has waxed cold, if it's, grown, if it's grown cold and callous, it's because we have not grown to know Him the way that we should. We've not gone and sought for Him in the Word. We've not looked for Him in the things that, 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 that the Bible shares with us about Him. Because He talks about the fact that God is God and, and He is the Creator and He is the Shepherd, the psalmist can say real easily in verse number 1, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Why? Because God is God. God is the Creator of the universe. God made you. Why? Because He's the shepherd and you're the sheep. He leads you. He guides you. He protects you. He provides for you. He has saved you. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. I'm glad He didn't say make a pretty noise. I've heard some of you sing. But He does say make a joyful noise, doesn't He? Why? Because we love Him. When we begin to see Him more for who He is, look what He says in verse number 5. He says, For the Lord is good. I love that statement. It doesn't say the Lord does good things, although He does good things, doesn't He? It says the Lord is good. It's part of His being. It's part of who He is. God just doesn't do good things. God is good. And by the way, He's the only one that is. He says this, The Lord Lord is good. His mercy is what? What does it say? His mercy is what? Everlasting. Boy, aren't we thankful for that? You know, the Bible tells us that were it not for God's mercy, for His grace, that we would be consumed every day, that it is only by His mercy that He is long-suffering with us. I'm thankful His mercy is everlasting. And notice this, I love this, His truth, what? Endureth to at least the first hundred years to the early church. No, to all generations. You know, you and I can sit here today with great confidence knowing that we hold in our hands the infallible, inspired, inerrant, preserved Word of God without error. Why? Because His truth endureth. I don't care how much it's been attacked. I don't care how much it's been undermined. It has stood the test of time and we have it in our hands. Boy, talk about something you and I can rejoice over. No wonder the psalmist said, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. All ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. We find that there are two things given in verse number 2 that I think are very important. It is not a matter of if or should we, but it is simply stated as a fact that we are to serve It's just our reasonable service, the Bible speaks of. We are to serve, and we're to do it with gladness. And then he says this, we are to come before His presence. It's just an understood thing. It's the natural thing of the Christian to come into God's presence. 
What do we mean by that? In Hebrews, the Bible tells us that He's given us the ability to come to the throne of grace and to find help in time of need. Because of Calvary, because of what Christ did for us on the cross of Calvary, you and I have the privilege to come to God every day at any time of the day, any moment of the day, in any circumstance or any trial of life, we can come to God and speak to Him one-on-one. We can have the very presence of God in our lives every moment of every day. He says, come into His presence, notice what the Bible says here, with singing. With singing. We began to see God as He really is, high and lifted up. We began to see Him as the Creator, the Shepherd, the Savior. Oh, our hearts begin to well. We use the term worship in the day that we live, and and sometimes we we kind of get a little nervous when people start saying, well, we ought to have some praise and we ought to have some worship. And what a lot of churches mean by that is get a rock group on the platform. That is not praise, and that is not worship. Praise and worship is when we begin to see God. We begin to put our eyes upon Him. We realize it is He that hath made us and not we ourselves. When we begin to realize we are His people and the sheep of His pasture, we begin to realize the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. His truth endureth to all generations. We begin to realize great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. In the city of our God, in the mountain of His holiness, we begin to realize His love for us. According to Romans 5, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We begin to realize that Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. We begin to realize that He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We began to realize that He came to give us life, give us life more abundantly. No wonder the psalmist said, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. The way we do that is by having a right knowledge of Him and understanding who He is. He says, Know ye that the Lord, He is God, it is He that hath made us not we ourselves. Notice the next verse here, and we'll be done. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. He says this, Enter into His gates with thanksgiving, and into His courts with praise. Be thankful unto Him and bless His name. I wrote down several things here, and I'm just going to read them to you in order that I wrote them. Knowing God more leads us to love Him more. Knowing God more leads us to love Him more. Number two, loving Him more leads us to serving Him with joy. Loving Him more leads us to serving Him with joy. 
And then I wrote down this. Joyful, loving service leads us to gratitude. Isn't that interesting? I think sometimes when I was younger, I thought, I'm going to serve the Lord because He wants me to, and, and I'll be obedient, and I'll really be doing God a favor. Can I tell you this? The older I have gotten, the more I have realized that serving God has done me well. It has been to my benefit. It has been the thing that has made me grateful to say, Lord, You have given me the great honor and the great privilege to serve You. It's a powerful psalm. The emphasis being initially on knowing the Lord. And that by knowing Him in the way that we should, it should produce the joy in us, the desire, the love for service. And that having the right motivation for service will produce in us a heart of gratitude that God has given us the privilege to be a part of His great work in this earth. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, He is God. It is He that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. Be thankful unto Him and bless His name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. And His truth endureth to all generations. There's an awful lot we can learn from Psalms 100. I oftentimes meet Christian folks and sometimes I'll ask them how they're doing. And then I kind of cringe as I hear them tell me. No joy. No thrill to their heart that they're saved. And I understand there are times we go through issues of life we can't we can't quite express how joyful our, we are about being saved. Can I tell you this? As God's people, there ought to be a joy about us. There ought to be something that... that I, I, I like to use the word effervescent. It ought to just bubble out of us. It ought to flow out of us. And I'm not talking about doing it artificially. I'm talking about getting to a place where we walk with God and we know God and we, we spend time with Him. And our cup runneth over. In Psalm 23, the psalmist spoke of that. That there was such a closeness. The relationship that God had allowed him to experience. Talked about God restoring his soul, but he made this statement. He said, my cup runneth over. It runneth over. If our, if our cup, spiritually speaking, isn't running over, could it be that our relationship with God is not what it should be? Our walk with Him. If there's not something that just pours out of us, joyful, excited about the Christian life, 
Could it be that there's something not quite right with our relationship with Him? Maybe we haven't spent enough time with Him. Maybe we haven't read the Bible enough and spent time learning about Him. Years ago when I was in college, in fact, I might have it in this Bible. I'm not sure. I think I do, actually. Just check and see. The Bible I had before this one. In Genesis 1-1, I wrote two words. I wrote, Dear Greg. And I went to the very back of the Bible, the very last verse of Scripture, and I put, Your loving Heavenly Father. Because I didn't want to just read this book so I could come up with outlines and messages and, and sermons. This book was written to me by my Heavenly Father so that I could get to know Him. I remember my last year in college, I, there was a young lady that I had an interest in and wanted to get to know her. And I remember at night uh, they had a curfew, and so at a certain time of the night we had to, all the guys had to be in the guys' dorm and all the girls had to be in the girls' dorms. And, but they had what they called night mail. And you had about an hour after you got in the dorm where you could get things ready for the next day or study or whatever, and then they had lights out. And in that hour, you could write notes to someone in the other dorm and drop it in a box, and they had the security guard come, and they would exchange the boxes at night, and then they'd pass out the mail. And one of the big things was if you got night mail at night from a young lady in the men's dorm or vice versa in the other and I remember uh, oftentimes writing little notes and sending them and then sitting there with anticipation waiting for that guard to come back with the box and another note coming and, Greg, you got a note. Not one time that I got one of those notes did I thank the security guard and lay it on my nightstand next to my bed and just left it there. And then went about my business and then I went over, and maybe a day or two later, I see it laying there, and I thought, well, you know, I really ought to read that note. I'm kind of busy right now. I'll, I'll deal with it later. No, no. And you know what happened. The minute that note came, I couldn't wait. I mean, I tore it open. And sometimes all it said was, thinking of you, have a good night. Before I just, my heart would swell. Because I knew that someone that cared about me was thinking about me too. And I tell you this, we need to have a love for God's Word so that we can know Him and we can love Him more. And maybe, just maybe, we can get to the place where the psalmist said, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. All ye lands, serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, He is God. Oh, that we would learn this. Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed. Father, we pray that You'll bless the time spent around Your Word today. Lord, a little bit of a, a different type of message for a Sunday morning. And yet, Lord, one that is so needful. I, I fear, Lord, that sometimes... We think that our holy living 
is what makes us spiritual. I think sometimes we get in our hearts and in our minds that if we go through the steps and the motions that are expected of us, that that is spirituality. Lord, may we learn that it is the heart. It is the time that is not spent in public worship, but the time that we spend in our prayer closets and the times that we spend alone with You, that the greatest worship of our hearts begins to take place. And it begins to affect not only our hearts, but the things that we do in our life. It brings joy. It brings contentment and satisfaction. It brings singing to our hearts. It causes us to rejoice, even in service. Father, may You work in our hearts. And may You help us to be careful, help us to be cautious, that we would not whitewash the outside of the sepulcher and leave the inside undone. But, Father, may we work on our hearts and our relationship with You. May the most vitally important part of our Christian life be our personal time spent with You. Bless the invitation and speak to hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. With heads bowed, please, and eyes closed. As Miss Evelyn plays just a verse or two of of, of